God, as we open up your word, we ask that your spirit would infuse our bodies and our minds and our souls that we might receive the hope that you have to share with us today. Um, I pray that my words wouldn't be my own, but they would just further illuminate your truth, uh, that we might walk away feeling closer to you than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, uh, take out your Bible and join me today. Our reading is in Mark chapter 5. And um, I know I say this every single Sunday, but it's really important today because we're going to cover a lot of ground. You need to have it in front of you. Um, It'll help you immensely. And so um, open that up with me. And if you don't own a Bible, then the Bible that you just took out is yours. It's our gift to you. Um, It's been a year since we established the Dwayne Arnold Bible Fund, which provides Bibles um, not just here, um, the Lakeland Hospital and Elkhorn, chaplaincy program has Bibles from that fund. Um, So when you give to that, we want to get the Bible into the hands of as many people as possible, including those of you who are here today. And so open up to our reading in Mark chapter 5. I have to say this, sometimes sermon prep, um, first of all, we have Bill Gross here with us this morning. Can we welcome Bill? Um, He's assisting in our leadership. And, um, And Bill agreed with me when I said this at the first service that sometimes Sermon prep takes you on an interesting tangent, right? You start to think about things. You get creative and, you know, how does this that I'm reading here connect with that? And and this week, it was one of those weeks I was studying this passage we're about to read from Mark, and I came across a quote from the book Peter Pan. How many of you, there weren't too many in the first service, how many of you have read the book? Not the movie, but the book. All right, a couple of you. How many of you have seen the movie? All right, and how many of you have seen Hook from 1991? Robin Williams, all that? Okay, so same quote is in both, the book and the movie, different context. Uh, The movie's Robin Williams, he's the adult Peter Pan, and Julia Roberts plays Tinkerbell. Um, But in both the book and the movie, if you don't know the story, there's this gap between, uh, between those who live in the real world and those who live in this magical world that's called what? Does anybody remember? remember? Neverland, right? There's this gap between these two places. And the bridge that holds the two places together at the end is really love is what it is. In the book, it's the, the platonic maternal love between Wendy and the forever young uh, Peter Pan. And then the movie, of course, because movies have to be romantic. And so it's the romantic love uh, between the adult Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. And so I found the clip from the movie uh, that shares this quote. And once we're done watching it, I'll tell you how it connects to our reading today. Let's watch. Say it, Peter. Say it and mean it. I believe in fairies. You know that place between sleep and awake? That place where you still remember dreaming? That's where I'll always love you. Peter Pan. That's where I'll be waiting. place between sleep and awake where you're still dreaming but you remember it that's where I'll always love you that's where I'll be waiting I I heard that quote I read it I watched it and I I just thought you know books and movies they've got a way of using fairy tale stories and 
and tapping into our imagination to tap into something that we instinctively want to believe is literally true. That there's something that's connecting what's here and now to what feels like is in another reality. And we're going to see that play out in the reading that we're going to read today together from the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we paused this journey. Uh, We're in a series called The Way, which is through the Gospel of Mark, and we got to hear the testimony of Jared and Mary McDaniel. Um, I know they're here in this service. I don't know where exactly they're sitting. There they are. They're right over here. Um, Those of you who are here, can we we thank them for sharing their testimony last week with us? Um, They are living the way of Jesus, and so if you didn't get a chance to see it, it's online on our website, check it out. Um, They are doing so as missionaries with an organization called World Orphans. Uh, But today we're jumping back into the Gospel of Mark, and I want to get you caught up briefly on what we missed last week. Uh, Last week would have been a continuation of the miracles and the healings of Jesus that he's been doing from the very beginning of the Gospel. In Mark chapter 4, you got the disciples. They're out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and a huge storm comes upon them. And it was so big, they were certain their lives were over. They were going to capsize. They were going to drown. It really was. It was a terrifying situation. And so what was Jesus doing in the midst of this storm? Does anybody remember this story? What was he doing? He was sleeping. Would you be upset with Jesus if you were on the boat and Jesus was sleeping? You would, okay? And they were too. And so they woke him up. Don't you care? And he gets up, and this is what he does. Verse 39. He got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Like, what is going on here? First of all, he says, quiet, be still. And the weather listens to him. I read that at the first service and I thought, my two-year-old doesn't even listen to me when I say those words. And the waves stop when Jesus says this. They go from being terrified of the storm to being terrified of the man on the boat that can tell the storm what to do. It was scary. This wasn't a fairy tale. It was the opposite. And verse 41 says they were, say it with me, terrified. And they asked each other, who is this Jesus? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So that's one thing we miss. Then after that, they cross over the sea in Mark chapter 5, and Jesus encounters a man with an impure spirit, and he's living in a graveyard. Just, just a point, don't, probably don't want to hang out with people who live in a graveyard. You'll see that here uh, because they tried everything they could. He was harming other people. He was harming himself. Um, this is what was going on. But Jesus shows up, and it turns out there's not just one, but there's thousands of demons who have taken up residence in this particular man and they already know who Jesus is. They already know who he is. And so he calls them out of the man and he sends them into a herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs. And they all jump off a cliff and they drown in the lake. And again, this is not a fairy tale, verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and they reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were what? Say it with me. Afraid. Are you seeing a theme here? They were afraid. They're asking the question, 
who is Jesus? And no longer are they afraid of the wind and the waves. No longer are they afraid of the possessed man. They're afraid of him. Who is this guy who not only the wind and the waves obey him, but the demons already know him? He seems to be from an entirely different universe. He seems to be from Neverland. In the words of Peter Pan, he seems to be from the place between sleep and awake, the dreams and the nightmares that we remember, except it's not that at all, because he's here. He's now. These people are awake. They recorded it 2,000 years ago. Later, we're reading it today. It all actually happened. And all of that leads us to the reading that we're reading today in chapter 5, verse 21. Let me read just the first three verses. Jesus had again crossed over by boats to the other side of the lake, and a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, just before this, Jesus and the disciples with the demon and all of that, they were in in Gentile territory. That meant they were with people that were not familiar with Jesus. They were not Jewish. And, And frankly, for the most part, when he did what he did there to the pigs, they didn't want him there. They didn't want him there because, I mean, you could imagine if you're a farmer and you've got 2,000 pigs and suddenly they're gone, that's your livelihood, right? Like this, this, was, this was scary. So now he's back in Jewish territory. These are his people. They've heard about him. They've seen his teaching and his healings, and they all want a piece of this rabbi. They all want a piece of this teacher. And that includes Jairus, this leader in the synagogue. And he's got this terribly dire situation. His little girl, she's 12 years old, this little 12-year-old girl, she is dying. And so he finds Jesus. And he bows before Jesus earnestly, says the scriptures. And he says, make my child well. Come to my house. Touch her and Jesus agrees and so they head out to his house and it says in verse 24 Jesus went with them and while they were going a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had and yet instead of getting better she grew worse And it's at this point I want to pause because the author wants us to see that there's two very different things that are going on at the same time. And we're going to look at the differences between these two things. You've got this man, Jairus. He's he's the leader of the synagogue. He's got authority. He's got confidence. He's like our council president. So Wendy's here. She's on the worship team today. I mean, this is what it would be like. Wendy, this would be like you, okay? And, 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 and so there's, there's all of this, and, and there's nothing wrong with what he's doing, but he has this position of authority. He's got keys to the church. Wendy, do you have keys to the church? You do. So that gets you places, right? Usually gets you to the mop bucket, right? That's how this works here. We, we serve one another. Um, but it also carries with it authority, And with this man, Jairus, it carries with it a level of confidence. And you can see that if you read between the lines. Because he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, you come to my house. You touch my daughter. Heal her. He has the confidence. And you would too if this was your daughter. But he gets before Jesus and he asks him to heal her. 
That's the man, and that's not the woman. That's not the woman. She was a nobody. She spent 12 years bleeding. She's been sick for over a decade. And that experience has made her what the Jewish tradition would call unclean. What that means is that she literally can't physically touch someone or they become unclean too. And so she has been separated from 12 years. Nobody can touch her and she can't touch anybody. And if there's anyone in this particular moment in history that a woman like her should not touch, it is Jesus. She should not touch Jesus and she knows it. And not only is she a nobody, not only has she been cast out, not only is she chronically suffering, but everything she's tried, everything she's done, she's gone to the best doctors, she's exhausted all of her money, she's done everything, and not only did it not work, but it actually made her condition worse. And it's at that point that I have to ask you a question. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in the place of this woman? Maybe you're there right now. I know some of you are. You may have experienced this. Have you you ever suffered chronic illness that just won't go away? An immune disease to which there's no cure. Chronic anxiety or depression It's deeper than the situation that you're living in and nothing touches it. An addiction that you want to kick as hard as you want it to go away. You just can't get out from under it. Anything that you can't heal from and you've tried, if that's you, you know this woman. You are this woman. I feel like cancer is that for us today. You could spend everything, right? That, that you have to get the best doctors and try to get into the best experimental treatments and, oh, i got to get into this trial and all of this. And at the same time, and we do this, but at the same time, the very therapies like chemotherapy and radiation that are meant to make us well are so powerful, they can harm us in trying to take away the thing that is hurting us. And that was the experience of this woman. That was the experience of this woman. And so what does she do when everything she's tried hasn't helped, it's made it worse? What does she do? Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd, from behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now remember, we're comparing the two stories because that's what the author wants us to do. So you've got this man who comes before Jesus and the woman comes from behind. The man falls at the feet of Jesus and asks him to come to my house and touch my daughter. And do you know what the woman does? She comes from behind. I'm going to use Ted. He doesn't smell. I'm using him as a sermon illustration. <laughs> she does this. <laughs> You see that, right? That's what she does. She's so hesitant. I don't even want him to know. I don't want him to see me. I don't want to even touch his body. I'll just touch his cloak. Hopefully it's the part that's waving in the wind and he doesn't even know, right? But what happens here in verse 30? She was healed. 
she was healed. And, and it says that at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And you know what she did? I have no idea what you're talking about. I was sitting with Bill the whole time. Right? Like, is that not terrifying? There's this crowd. Everybody knows Jesus. You've done everything to make sure nobody knows what you've done. You went, reached out, touched him. He knows it. He says, who touched me? And, and the truth is, in this crowd of people, everybody's touching Jesus. He's in a crowd. It's a mob. They're all brushing up against him physically. And the disciples said as much in verse 31. They said, there's a crowd that's pushing against you. And, and you're asking who touched me? me everybody's touching you Jesus but no one touched him like her nobody touched Jesus like she did and he knew it verse 32 the Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it and then the woman knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet say this with me trembling with fear. Do you see the theme? Trembling with fear. And she told him the whole truth. What's the whole truth? I don't know. Mark is, is, is economical with his words. I have to imagine. Maybe the whole truth was her life story. Maybe she said it was me. It was me. Jesus, you've got to know, I used to be young. I used to be healthy. I used to be full of potential. I used to be happy. I used to have it all. It was all before me. And, and, and I'm the one that touched you because I had nowhere else to go. And trust me, I've tried. It's been 12 years, Jesus. This doesn't go away. I've gone to the doctors, the best that there are. I've had people pray for me. I've done it all. I've done everything, and everything I do, not only does it take all that I have, but it makes it worse. I didn't know where else to turn. And so, yes, Jesus, this is the whole truth. I touched you, and I was afraid. I was afraid because I knew, just like everybody else has told me since this all started, I was afraid that I would make you unclean. And yet when I touched you, it was you who made me clean. You healed me. What does he say to her? He says, daughter. He calls her daughter. When I read that, I thought about my six-year-old daughter. And I thought about cupping. I have one daughter, four boys. Yeah, you can laugh. There's a lot of funny stories. There's something about a daughter, right? Just, just what I do, you know, sometimes she's so sensitive. Like, we, we barely have to yell at her at all, you know, because you just look at her the wrong way. She just melts, right? Like, you just, it's just, we don't do that. And so, so she's so sensitive, and sometimes I'll, I'll take her and I'll cup her face in my hands just to bring her comfort. And I read this, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if Jesus did this to that woman who's afraid, who's reaching out, who doesn't know, all this stuff. And he cups her face and his hands, and he says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. He wasn't angry. The opposite. Jesus healed her, and he didn't even know it because of her faith. 
And because of her faith, she learns that from now on, I've got nothing to fear because instead of her making Jesus unclean, he's the one that made her clean. Makes me think about January in Wisconsin, and I think the weather doing what it's doing, it kind of makes the situation worse. It's like we're all getting sick every other week, aren't we? Amen? My goodness. But none of us here now, right? <laughs> you don't want to make the people sitting next to you in the pews squirm. Uh, but what do we do, right? We, we know this in the Midwest. It's just the season of illness. And so, so when you get sick, you do all the things that you do to make sure you don't share with other people. You, you, you've got a fever. You stay away. Uh, if you sneeze or cough, you, you cover your mouth. And, and so I want you to imagine if you had the opposite ability, if instead of, of the thing that ails you being the thing that's contagious, I want you to imagine that your ability was that your health is what people caught when they came up to you. That if Pat is sick and I'm healthy, or let's reverse it, let's say I'm the one who's sick and, and, and she's the healthy one, and she sneezes because there's some dust in the sanctuary, and she sneezes in my face, which she would never do. <laughs> Suddenly, my illness goes away. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, we would, we would tell you, you're doing a disservice to the world by covering your mouth. Don't do it. Don't cover your mouth, right? Like six feet away, don't. No, no, no. Give us kisses as we leave, right? Like, like would that not be an amazing thing to have? Well, friends, it's a thing. It happened in a person. What's his name? Jesus. He walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And when people touched him, they were the ones that were made well. And friends... If you're the person who's been unclean and, and suffering for 12 years and you've, you've got no hope, you would do everything you can to find him and touch him too, wouldn't you? And the truth is, it doesn't, it's not apparent in this particular moment, but that healing would take something out of Jesus. It would take something out of him, but that wouldn't be seen until the cross. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because remember, there's still a little girl who's sick. Remember, there's two people who are sick. And, and all of this happened while Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. And so let's continue. Verse 35, when Jesus was still speaking, some of the people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Like Tinkerbell, right? Just believe. And I want to go on a, a real quick tangent here that comes up in this passage. Have you ever wondered, you don't have to raise your hand, you can nod if you want. Have you ever wondered, as you pray to God, like, I don't know if I should pray about this because, because I know God has lots of people to take care of and maybe there's people who are going through things that are harder than what I'm going through and I don't want to waste God's time. Have you ever felt that way? I, I, I think a lot of people do, and it's, it's not biblically accurate. It's not theologically correct. If you've thought about it, it's God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is all. He can handle your issues and my issues and everybody's issues at the same time. He can. But if we had to make a decision here, if we had to look at a situation, this man, Jairus, went to Jesus and asked him to come to his house. And on the way there, this woman stopped Jesus. And when the woman stopped Jesus, the daughter died. And you may wonder how Jairus felt in that particular moment. And yet Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. 
Verse 37, he didn't let anybody follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion when the people were crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why is this all, why is all this commotion and wailing happening? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. You want to know why they laughed at him? Because she was dead. As far as they could tell, she was dead. And yet little did they know, Jesus did not just come to heal diseases by rubbing off his healing on others. He came to raise the dead. Amen? Verse 40, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Amazing, right? Both the woman and the girl are both healed. But notice something here. Why does Jesus tell the family not to share the amazing miracle that the child who is dead is now alive? I mean, don't you have questions about that? Why would he not want that story to be told? Why would he not want that story to be told? There's two two reasons. The first one you'll read in all the commentators. It's the obvious one. You may have already picked up on it. Jesus didn't just come to temporarily save us from death. He came to save the world from dying forever. And the situation here is the same situation you may know about in the story of Lazarus, Jesus' friend. Um, What would happen is this little girl, she's alive again, but she's going to eventually die. It may be of old age, it might be of illness, we don't know. Um, But she does not stay alive forever. And you know why I know that she doesn't stay alive forever? Because I've never met her. And, and, and the chance, and, and the truth is, if she, if she was alive, you would know her too, because she'd be the oldest woman in the world. <laughs> she'd be 2,000 years old. Her and Lazarus would be hanging out going, look, Jesus raised me from the dead, and I never died again. The truth is, that's not what happened, because Jesus did for her in a moment what was just a foretaste of what he came to do for the world when he died on the cross to overcome our sin And our death, not just for a moment, but for all of eternity. In other words, when we touch the cloak of Jesus, we exchange our brokenness, our sin, our death for his forgiveness and his grace and eternal life. And that's the first reason Jesus doesn't want this this word to get out. But the second reason, this is just one I wonder. I asked Bill. Bill's taking seminary classes right now, but he told me this is okay. Is he, he, he approved of my exegesis today. And, um, and so it's just a theory of mine. Um, I wonder if the second reason that Jesus didn't want this story to get out there is because he was controlling the narrative. He wanted people to know something specific about him in this particular moment. And if there was one story that Jesus wanted to spread, it is that he has come to heal the people who don't think there's anywhere else to go. He has come to heal the people who are unclean. 
He has come to heal the people who have done everything they can. And they have paid everything out. And it hasn't made it better. It's actually made it worse. He wants the message to go out to the world that he has come for them. He wants anybody who has nowhere else to turn to do whatever it takes to come to Jesus. Come to me. He's not just here for the people who are perceived to have it all together like the religious leaders. Wendy and I will tell you as religious leaders, we don't have it all together either. But there's people that didn't know Jairus and they might think that because he's the leader of the synagogue, somehow he's got keys to the church. He can get in. He's the kind of guy that Jesus wants to come and heal for, but not someone like this woman, not this woman. And yet he said, no, 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 I came for her too. I came especially for her. I came for the one who thought she couldn't even touch me. I came to tell her, come to me. And friends, I have to apologize because before I wrote any of these sermons, we, we, we titled this series, The Way. But if I ever re-preach this, I'm going to preach this series and I'm going to call it Come to Jesus. <laughs> because it seems to be the theme, doesn't it? Each and every time, that's what he wants them to hear. That's what it comes down to. That's the message of Jesus. And don't just come, but believe. Believe. There were crowds of, Je of people around Jesus. Crowds of them. And I have to assume it is directly implied that as he's walking through the crowds, have you ever walked through a crowd? They're all pushing you. They're violating, you know, this, this, this personal bubble that we have, right? You don't have a personal bubble when you're in an airport. You don't have a personal bubble when you're downtown Chicago. You don't have a personal bubble in a crowd. Jesus did not have a personal bubble in this crowd. Everybody was touching him. And I have got to believe, because I know people, that there were lots of people in that crowd that were carrying ailments too. There were people who had headaches. There were people who were suffering from cancer. There were people who had broken relationships and addictions. And yet only one, the woman, was made well. Why? Because she had the faith to get close to Jesus in order to make her well. The leader of the Jewish synagogue oversaw a place that taught a system that encouraged people and required people to make sacrifices to God. But this woman knew in her heart, if she didn't know explicitly the words of the psalmist in Psalm 51, that God, this is speaking to God, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a what? A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. That's what she came to Jesus with. A broken heart, and he left her healed. And the call of Jesus is that we would do the same as well. And I'll leave you with a story. I heard it just this Tuesday um, in my Tuesday morning Bible study at 9 a.m. If you're not available, or if you're not busy at Tuesdays at 9 a.m., I'd love to have you come. We just—it's very simple. We pray and we study whatever we studied on Sunday. We just go deeper into it. And uh, there was a woman that was a part of that this week. Her name's Jeannie Olinger. Um, she was at the first service, and she shared a story as we were studying last week's passage of a time when she was growing up. She was a little girl, and she went to uh, Catholic school. 
And so as part of being a part of a religious school, she had religious class, and she learned about God. And, and there was this one day that she learned something very interesting and intriguing about God, and she was very excited about it. And so she came home, and she told her mother. She said, Mom, I was sitting in class today, and I learned that God is a string bean. You think you didn't hear me right. I'm talking about a vegetable. <laughs> It's before Phil Vischer and VeggieTales and all this stuff. She says to her mother, I heard that God is a string bean. God is a string bean. She was so excited. And her mother was furious. <laughs> what are they teaching my child? And so she picked up the phone and she called her teacher. And she said, what are you teaching my child about God? And the teacher said, I didn't say God is a string bean. I said, God is a supreme being. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, makes sense, right? Like, okay, got it, got it. And so, so I asked Judy, I said, I said, well, what happened next? And she said, well, in this experience, they learned that she was having trouble hearing the teacher. She was having trouble hearing the teacher. And so they had to move her seat close so that she could hear. In other words, when she was far away from God, trying to learn about God, she was hearing it. She knew who God was, but she wasn't getting the full message. And the only remedy to fix that issue was for her to draw close. And when she said that to me, I said, can I share that with the church? Because that'll preach. <laughs> that is the message of Jesus. That's the invitation. And we think that our unclean nature, we think the things that make us less than are the reasons we have to stay away from God, and then we get all these convoluted ideas that are actually crazier than thinking that God is a string bean, like that God doesn't love me, or that I am unforgivable, or that I can't be healed, or that God is too busy with other people's issues that he doesn't want to listen to the thing that I'm dealing with right now. None of those things are true, and if you want to learn that truth... There's only one way to experience it. It's take your own broken heart and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to him. And we learn what he's capable of when we do that. Reminds me of the story of Lazarus. Just like this little girl, Jesus said to the sister of Lazarus when he died, he was dead, he was in the tomb, and and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes, lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? If there's one thing I can encourage you, exhort you, and beg you to do, it's believe. He loves you. He wants to heal you. He wants to be with you. And it might not look like the healing of these women in a moment, but that moment is coming. Jesus is coming back. And until that day that we cross over the threshold from life to life, we find that his presence is right beside us. It is not in Neverland. It is not in the place between where we are asleep or where we are awake. His presence is here and now, connected us, connecting us to eternity through the one thing that has been the thing that has connected us from the very beginning to God, and that is his love. Amen? Friends, today is our, our annual Celebration Sunday. 
And after the, the service here today, we're going to gather in the fellowship hall. So come down there. I shared all those details before. We're going to have food and community, and, and we're going to thank God for his many blessings over this last year. And I, I saved my pastor's report until then. I, I felt like this verse mattered. It mattered to me, and I know it matters to many of you. Uh, and so that's what I really want you to take home. But I'll, I'll share my report out there. It's only twice as long as my sermon, so don't worry. I'm kidding. It's not. Um, you might get wet, though, so come, come check out that part. And um, I don't want to end, though, without um, recognizing that unless you're here for the first time, you know that this has uh, been a, a, an incredible year this last year. It's been our 125th year as a church. And, and that means we're all a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And as part of our celebration, we invited Blue Chair Stories and a, a man by the name of Jake Schnacki. He's an incredibly gifted artist. He came out and he, he put together a video for us that tells the story of who we are uniquely as the body of Christ. We showed it on Christmas Eve, um, but I know that many of you weren't here for that. And even if you were, it'll be a blessing to see again. And so I want to invite you as we watch and we celebrate what God is doing here at St. John's. Let's watch. The thread that connects generations of believers is this reality that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It is that hope that we have in Christ. It is that eternal life that we have in Christ, the forgiveness that we have in Christ, and the opportunity we have to share that hope and invite the world into that hope with us. In 1899, just one year after St. John's was established in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, the Emperor of Germany, Kaiser Wilhelm II, was thinking about his childhood friend, his childhood friend who became the first pastor of this church, Hugo Steubenwald. As an encouragement, he sent his friend this German Bible, and in the front cover, the emperor wrote out the words of Romans 12.12, which says, Rejoice in our confident hope. And for 125 years, it is hope that has gathered people in this place as an outpost of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. In, in 1949, our, our house burned down. And uh, uh, it, we had nothing. I mean, it, you know, every, everything was gone. We didn't, didn't save anything. And uh, uh, and th th that was on a Saturday. And the next Sunday morning, my mother had us here in church, and, and the per church provided us with basically, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever we needed. We're multi-generational, um, young and old gather around, and I mean, we've had members coming here for over well over 50 years and new members coming each week um, and it's all because they see how God is working through St. John's. He's, he's doing things, he's doing things all the time for us and we want to grow and see how we can serve him well. It's just not us coming here and sitting and listening to pastor, but it's how can we do what the Lord would have us do? Yeah, I think, I think everything we do here is to try to grow the family. 
you know, wh whether that be internally or externally, uh, but, you know, supporting other church members and new members and guests, uh, you know, inside, outside, uh, our youth and getting involved and, and wanting to be a part of and watching them grow and foster that growth, it's, it's, that's all just part of growing the family. Generations have gathered here to worship the God who brought us hope to begin with and extends that hope to all people in all generations in every circumstance for all of eternity.